Hey, this is Alan from Praise. So glad that you are checking out this message from our Sunday morning service. We're right in the middle of a series about the Holy Spirit. All we're doing is we're reading about how the Holy Spirit has moved in ages past in order to better understand how he might move today in unique ways where our world might be primed for him to move in our midst. We're calling it the Holy Spirit, rethinking the spirit of our age. Thank you again for checking it out. And I just believe that God's going to move uniquely in your life as a result. God bless. I went to CBC and I can count, so I don't know that it was a CBC issue. I think it was a, a Dylan Hartzog issue. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, good stuff. How are you guys doing today? Good. Good. I'm glad you're here. We are in week three of the Holy Spirit. We're very creative at Praise Assembly. When we call a series something, we call it what it is. This series is about, come on somebody, you know, you know, with mysterious things in the background. Everybody say, ooh. If you're joining online, put ooh in the chat. Put a little fire emoji along with it. Ooh, fire emoji. Everybody fire emoji in the room. That was weird. Ah, good stuff. We are, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but every week, well, you probably haven't noticed. I'm the only one who notices, but every week as part of this series, we've had to change the art. So, like, we had to go back and redo everything. So the first week we, we, we launched the Holy Spirit series, we realized that the tagline was too small. So here's the original. We're like, you can't even see that. And some of you can't, can't see it anyways, but like some of you are like, what did I say under there? And so like, so we were like, you know what? We got to make it bigger. And so we had to redo the bumper and then we had to redo the image, imagery and, and kind of shift it over so that it looked better. And then, and then week two, after service last week, somebody told us that we had spelled hysteria wrong. How many of you noticed we spelled it hysteria, H-I-S-T-E-R-I-A. So then we had to go back and re-spell it, H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A. How many of you noticed? You guys are the worst. I, I, noticing stuff. I want you to know, though, we fired the person who was responsible for that, cleaned it up, because we do things with excellence at Praise Assembly. You will never hear from that person again. They're gone. It was me. I did it. I, I fired me. <laughs> I have to be clear on that because like one time when I was in service, and this was, this was, I've been known to walk right up to the line before, but not step over. I know, right? <laughs> Subtle. Uh, yeah, so... So one time, early on when I was preaching at Praise, really early on, because it was, Asher was just a baby, and, and Liz, some of you guys remember the story, I've said it before, but it was, I don't know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, something like that. I don't think I was even the pastor at that point, but Liz was sitting on the, on the front row, and Asher had just been born, and I'm preaching, and Asher starts acting up, starts crying, and getting louder and louder and louder. And like I'm watching as everybody in the room is watching my wife and my child on the front row, right? 
And so she gets up to walk out, and I see everybody's heads go. And I'm like, I got to relieve the pressure off her because I'm a good husband. And so I figured the way to do that was to make a joke. But I wanted it to be an inside joke. And so that the only people who would get it, apparently, are the people who are there all the time, right? So I said, would somebody get that child out of here? I mean, where's the respect? I'm trying to preach here, and this child's screaming. And Liz starts laughing, and the entire room laughed, like, because everybody knew it was my child, except for one person who was visiting that day. (laughs) No idea. The next day, we get a phone call at Praise. I cannot believe your pastor just, I mean, just terrible to this young woman, this beautiful young woman who was there with her child, and the child was screaming, and she just wanted to be in church, and you ran her out of the church. And thankfully, Kim Roberts was in the front office, and she said, yeah, that was, that was our pastor's wife and her son. And I, I, am, I, I realized in that moment, I am glad I did not take the additional step I was thinking about saying in that moment about having an absentee father or something like that. Because I, that's never funny, first off. But second, that would have really been bad. So, so yeah, it was me. It was me. I spelled hysteria wrong. I got fired by me. And, uh, but, but even in that art, like, what I love, and I don't know that anybody even notices it, a lot of times there's this subtle kind of thing that's happening that in the art, in the visual elements, the bumpers, the, the, that that maybe you don't pick up on for a while, but, but we're talking about the Holy Spirit, but specifically we are talking about what the Holy Spirit looks like moving today in our world. And as a part of that, maybe rethinking the spirit of our age, right? But even as we've been talking about a world which has been flattened, the color, the, even it, it's, it's graffiti-esque, is kind of underneath it all. It's kind of spreading, and you don't recognize that in reality, the Holy Spirit is underpinning everything and moving subversively through it all. And that's really what this, this whole series is about. And I'm telling you right now, it's going to get better and better and better as it goes, because right now we're talking about foundational things. And this series has been foundational. It has been good. Um, and I, if you missed one of the two weeks that have led up to today, as you talk about the Holy Spirit, often in Pentecostal circles, we'll start in Acts chapter 2. Because that's, I mean, there were some big things that happened in Acts chapter 2, but we start there, and then we, I think sometimes we bleach it when we do that. Because you don't understand that the Holy Spirit was at work far before Acts chapter 2. And that he has been really, and, and understanding that our world is different because of things that happened before Acts chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit is pulling some things together and underneath it all. And so that's what the series has been out. Week one, we just talked about how God is, or the Holy Spirit was a part of creation. And so who we are, based on Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and 2, verse 7, and then Acts chapter 17, verse 25 and 28. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. I can't re-preach it, but I'll tell you this, that, that the Holy Spirit was breathed into us by God when he made us. That the Holy Spirit was a part of the creation as he was hovering over the waters and calling out of chaos, creation. And, and so as a result, deeper than the DNA inside of every single one of us, the Holy Spirit is encoded. That was week one. Week two, then we just picked up the very next occasion where the Holy Spirit shows up in Scripture in Genesis chapter 41 um, with the story of Joseph standing before Pharaoh. That's the next time after creation that the Holy Spirit is mentioned. 
And there, it's clear that the Holy Spirit is responsible for, because of that deep encoding inside of us, our intelligence. We took from Genesis uh, 41, but then also from Isaiah 11.2 and from, from Job 32, verse 8, that, that our intelligence, even the fact that you can, I can speak, you can hear, and then as you hear, then your brain can put in logical thought what is being said is a result of the fact that you have been made in God's image and the Holy Spirit has been breathed into you. Your intelligence is a result of the Holy Spirit's encoding within you. I've never heard somebody say that. Never. And so this is something for me that as I'm working through this, in fact, this whole series, just so you know, it started with a spreadsheet. I think the Holy Spirit works the best coming out of a spreadsheet. But like, in, in May, in early June, I just decided to read every occasion in Scripture where the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And then I took every occasion in Scripture where the Holy Spirit is mentioned, and I put them into a spreadsheet. And then in that spreadsheet, I kind of put some kind of key pieces around that, things that I noticed about each individual scripture. And then after I stepped back and I looked at the arc of the Holy Spirit moving in humanity, I started noticing some things. Some of that I'm not going to bring up yet because it's for weeks yet to come. And and I'm telling you, it's going to be good. But before we get there, we need to talk about some of the ways that the Holy Spirit is deeply encoded in us. What I will notice is this that the Holy Spirit has been at work and is at work in ways that you don't even imagine. And number one is, every human being's intelligence is a result of the fact that the Holy Spirit has encoded deeper than their DNA inside of them the image of God. And you might say, well, some of us got more of that than others. People say the same thing about you. Okay, so so today what we're going to do is we're going to pick up in the very next passage in Exodus chapter 35 for a sermon which is titled, Something Out of Nothing. Something Out of Nothing. Exodus chapter 35. So far as part of this series, all we've been doing is we've started at the beginning. We read the very first occasion where the Holy Spirit shows up in Scripture, which is verse 2, right? He shows up verse 2. And then we move to the next occasion, which was Genesis chapter 41, which was thousands of years later, okay, after Genesis 1-2, okay? This is a long time after that. Now we're picking up with the third time that the Holy Spirit is mentioned. So we're just going hit one, next, and the next one. Now this is not thousands and thousands of years. This is hundreds of years later after Genesis chapter 41. And we're going to get to the point. It's going to start speeding up. Holy Spirit starts showing up regularly. It starts accelerating. He starts moving in more and more people's lives. And it's noticed in more and more people's lives. So we won't be able to read every occasion because that's what's going to happen. But today we can. In Exodus chapter 35 is after the people of Israel had come out of Egypt. And as part of that, God had um, spoken to Moses and said, you need to build the space for us to meet. And this place is going to tell you about who I am. It's going to tell you about who you are. And it's going to tell you about how we meet together. Okay? And then he says, gather up resources in order to make that happen. So he tells everybody, hey, we got to gather up resources. We're going to build a tent of meeting. This is the very first place that God would meet on a regular basis with his people, where they could worship him and where they could pray to him and where he could interact with them. 
okay? Because he said, if I go up with you, I'll destroy you. So he says, instead, make a space that, that we can meet together, okay? So as part of that, then, he gathers up all these resources, but then he gathers up people who can do something with those resources, and so he specifically gets people who are skilled. And that all kind of shows up there uh, before this by about five, six chapters. And then in chapter 31, he starts talking about a few people in particular. Exodus chapter 35, he zeroes in on those people even more. And that's where we're going to be reading today. Exodus 35, verse 30, here's what it says. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. One of the most obvious ways that the Holy Spirit is inside every human being. It's obvious to me, may not be obvious to you, because I've moved among creative people a lot. But one of the most obvious ways that you see the reflection of God in humanity by the power of the Holy Spirit encoding deeply inside of them is in creativity. It's in creativity. If you want to know where creativity comes from, Creativity comes from the fact that we have been made in the image of God. When God breathed his spirit inside of us, deeply encoded within us, is the ability to do what God did, to create. And so we create, and I create every week a sermon. But more than that, I'm around creative people. And so this is something that I've laid hold of a long time ago, that very clearly the image of God inside of us is just like God started with nothing, that in many ways we can start with a blank page and create something. And it's exhausting and it's difficult. But when it's done and you step back and you look at it and you say, oh, that is good. That there is some way in that moment where you are incredibly like God because you took nothing and you made something. And that creativity is a result of the Holy Spirit inside of you. We started this week off with, or this whole series off with, with um, Paul in Athens. And what does he say there? He says, and I don't think this is a mistake. I, I don't think it's an accident. I think he, in that place, he, he says, some of your own poets said this. These are people who are not believers, right? And yet he grabs hold of something that they had done, and he says, in this, you can see that there is a God who made us all, right? So in creativity, there is a way where the Holy Spirit is, is kind of deeply encoded inside of every single one of us. If you are a creative person, that is the Holy Spirit's breath inside of you. And if you are not a creative person, you are actually a creative person, and you don't know it. Because the Holy Spirit's inside of you. And you may not be as creative as somebody else. You may not be able to start with a blank page and make something out of it. Or a blank canvas and make something out of it. Or, or just a nothing and make something. But yet, still, there is creativity inside of you. I know because the Holy Spirit's breath is inside of you. Did you know that the Greeks and the Romans did not believe that a person's creativity came from within them? The Greeks and the Romans, they called it two separate things, but the Romans specifically called it genius. 
But they didn't say that a person was a genius. That's a new thing. The, the idea of genius comes from the Romans, but they believed that it was an external force that visited a person. They said that people had a genius, not that they are a genius. Today, we flattened everything, and so we just say, oh, that person's a genius, that person's a genius. But in reality, for the Romans, they believed that there was this external force that visited and created within people. There's an excellent TED Talk uh, by a lady named Elizabeth Gilbert. She's the Eat, Pray, Love lady, um, which I don't know much about her, but she does have an excellent TED Talk, which is linked in the message notes. If you wanted to go and check it out, it's about 20 minutes long, super good. She talks deeply about that, um, and it's, it's super good. But it was this idea that creativity is not something that is innate to our physicality, but that there is something else beyond just that that makes us in some way, I don't know, she, she talks about it. And as she does, you can see from a non-Christian perspective, this idea of dealing with, there's some force out there which creates. And in some way, I get to be tapped into that. From a non-Christian, you hear this. And that is, for us, the same type of thing, which is, we say, then from the Holy Spirit. And so now we say somebody is a genius. They said, no, that person has a genius. That the genius is a force which is given to them. In verse 32 of what we just read, it actually says uh, that this person had the Holy Spirit, which gave them then the ability to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze, to devise artistic designs. The word devise there is to dream, to dream. That in some way, Bezalel, it says, was able to dream in gold, and he dreamed in silver, and he dreamed in bronze. That he was able to see these things that did not exist and then bring them to reality. There's an excellent interview by Sarah Groves, uh, for those of you who know who that is. Um, excellent interview, also linked on praise.fyi message notes, which is worth a read as she talks about that idea. Same thing, this idea of the creative force inside of us being the Holy Spirit's work. So you can check that out. Both of those are available on praise.fyi under message notes. Here's what I'm trying to say. Your creative ability. Your creativity is a reflection of God. Your creativity is a reflection of God. That the Holy Spirit is doing this in you because he breathed in you. And everybody's creative ability, no matter how they use it, for whatever purpose, is deeply encoded in them as a result of the Holy Spirit. So here's what we're seeing so far. First, that deeply there is this encoding because of the Holy Spirit. And that it comes out as intelligence. It also comes out as creativity. Now, let me give you a little bit more here because it actually says the Holy Spirit inspires more than just creativity here. Verse 34. Verse 34 says, And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. 
Bezalel and Oholiab, and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. So he inspired him first, creativity. Second, though, he was inspired by the same Holy Spirit to teach And then it talks about everybody else too. It's not just these two guys. It is those who were taught. He says there, everybody in whom, every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary. So he inspired him to teach and he gave other things to other people, creative ability, but also um, just skills of every nature. Here's what I would say. And, and this you may not agree with, but I believe that I think you can see this in this passage. And that is any innate gifting that reflects God is the Holy Spirit's doing. Any innate gifting that in some way reflects God is the Holy Spirit's doing. And so maybe, and I'm not talking about spiritual gifts yet. We'll get to that. That's to come. What I'm talking about is the innate stuff that when you were young and you just noticed, wow, I have a propensity for this. I have the ability to do this. If there is some way where you say in that ability, wow, in some way that reflects God's character, I would say that is encoded in you as a result of the Holy Spirit being breathed in you. Yeah, that's good stuff. Now, this is before we get to Acts 2. This is before salvation. This is before the stuff Ezekiel talks about and the Holy Spirit renewing us and all of that stuff. This is just talking about being created in the image of God. These things are at the most base level of who we are as people. The Holy Spirit is there and he is working in us and he is doing something in us. And so everybody around you who has intelligence and everybody around you who has skills and everybody around you who has creativity and those giftings which are in some way like God are all a result of the Holy Spirit's doing inside of you. So what does that say? That means that the Holy Spirit is more a level of the fiber of every human being than most people would admit. So now, again, we come to this. Say God wants to reach those people. And he gives the power of the Holy Spirit to his people. Now at the depths of their being, their creativity and intelligence and skills, they sense like the very cells of their body are coming alive, are lighting on fire because of something you say or do or speak into them. How incredible of an opportunity is that? And I believe... If God has given us those types of giftings and given us those types of abilities, that we ought to use them to reach those around us who maybe have no idea how deeply they have been encoded by the Holy Spirit. Again, it's like a cheat code, right? You have the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the source code of humanity, working inside of you to do something inside of them. And I think that says something about who God is. I think it says something about who his people are. And I think it says something about how we, as God's people, ought to use our giftings.
If there's anybody, I believe, who has done this and has exemplified it from me and I have learned from as a result, it is Mike Bisking. If you don't know Mike Bisking, Mike Bisking is a friend. He's a board member here at Praise. He's a professor, um, the head of the art department over at Evangel University. And Mike Bisking, over time, I have realized is more than just a painter. It took me a while to realize it. And I would look at his paintings, which often were paintings of prophets. And after I saw these paintings of prophets, and then I saw him painting himself in these paintings, it took some time, but over time, I realized he wasn't just painting prophets, but that he was a prophetic painter. And by that I mean he is a painter who was giving a message. He was speaking a message to the church. He was speaking a message to the world. That he was speaking a message to everyone who would see his paintings. I think we should hear that message and what he has to say to us today. Good morning, praise. It's really good to be here. What we'd like to show you is a, a painting that I'm really honored to give to praise. Uh, it's my lion lamb painting. Lion lamb painting. Well, just to start off with, maybe um, I should point out a couple of things before uh, Dylan helps me out by asking me some questions uh, to draw me out a little bit. But <clears throat> obviously the lion is there. And do you see the lamb? Okay. So you see the lamb. And there are uh, also a couple of hands up here and a face. Hey, Jared. Uh, a face there as well, uh, recalling the Christ figure. So um, I enjoy this painting partly because it's colorful uh, and partly because it's mysterious. And uh, perhaps we can get into that uh, as, as we talk. Mike, this painting is beautiful. It's amazing and it's magnificent, but all those words are true, but not enough. And I think I told you when I first saw it in person, when you invited me up to Evangel to see this piece, that the minute I walked into the room, I was just moved to tears. And I told you that this painting really inspired worship to me. All I could do was stand in awe of our creator, of Jesus, the lion and the lamb. And all I could do was just be in awe of that, be in awe that he would use you to paint something like this. Can you tell us just a little bit about the inspiration that led to where we are here with this? I'll try. It was, it's kind of a long story. I, I just, in Sunday school, uh, right before this, I shared some of those inspirations. 
Uh, how do you even uh, explain or encapsulate uh, all of the various things that can pour into your thinking? Uh, there's commercial imagery, there's popular imagery. I'm thinking about uh, uh, the Narnia series, Chronicles of Narnia, and the imagery that goes along with that. I'm thinking about Scripture and speaking about the Lamb and John saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm thinking about um, Revelations 5, verse 6, where it talks about the Lion of Judah, and then I saw a Lamb. And what excites me about that is that John, who had written the gospel where he was saying, John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John wrote Revelation. And when he said the Lion of Judah, he's talking about the Lion of Judah um, is able to open the scroll. Uh, very next verse, and then I saw a lamb looking as though it had been slain. John was there at the crucifixion. And so as he's writing that, I saw a lamb looking as though it had been slain. He had to have the image of Jesus up there on the cross in his thinking as he was writing those words. Uh, so all of the imagery, popular imagery and uh, countless crucifixion paintings that I've seen, uh, majestic lions, the MGM lion, you know, at the beginning of the movie uh, up there. Uh, all of that filters in, and I don't want to say it yields this, but it's, it's sort of what one tends to have at hand as they begin to imagine um, uh, something that for me is really a mystery. And uh, I guess as far as inspiration, that would be the other thing, is that I want, how do you, how do you picture a mystery? How do you make it uh, explainable? And I don't know that I'm being clear here, but um, the mystery of Jesus becoming flesh, taking the word becoming flesh, taking on a body and being eternal at the same time, that's a mystery. And I don't understand it. I can't grasp it. But being able to paint something like this sort of hints at that idea of the mystery of things that you can't quite grasp or put your, get your mind around. How can Jesus be God and, um, and flesh at the same time? The high priest as well as the sacrificial lamb. It's amazing. And I'm going to imagine that this isn't the first time you set out to paint a piece like this. Well, actually, it is the first time I set out to paint it, but, <laughs> but uh, as, as we'd shared before, uh, this is an idea that I've had in my mind for, for years. I, I, ran on t I shared it with a Sunday school class. I ran onto a drawing while I was working on this painting that I had done 15 or 20 years ago as this idea was percolating, I guess. And so many times you get an idea, and sometimes you do end up just putting it on the shelf, but it's always there, as long as you record it, as long as you get it down somehow. But... Uh, yeah, was it like maybe three or four years ago that you shared the idea with me first? We were having coffee. 
I think talking it was, about art in the church. It was February of 21. Okay, I, I looked back go. to see when the drawing was. There and it was. I, I shared it with you, and I shared it with Pastor. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So this is not the first time that you've done something like this, a painting where there's an inspiration that caused some mystery from Scripture, um, calls us to think about it and remember it and experience it in a new way. So when did you first discover that artistic gift inside of you? And then how did you cultivate that? As a, as a professor of art, the, this is not something probably one of your first-year students could do. Um, no offense, first-year art students who are here. How, how has that process worked for you? The Spirit has given you that skill, but then you've had to cultivate that skill. Yeah, you've said a lot of things there. Uh, the, the skill coming and us having to cultivate, cultivate the skill and be faithful to that, that gift, really, to develop it. But uh, I think it was third grade when I, Thanksgiving time, we make this mural, you know, on paper up on the bulletin board. And my little people tended to look maybe more like little people than... <laughs> than the other third graders, little people. <laughs> and I was good with that because, you know, you get, you get a little element of praise and I'll do this again because you, you like to have that positive reinforcement. So uh, mom and dad made sure that I had sketchbooks to, to work in. Uh, my history as, a, as an artist, though, I hate to admit it, but I sort of defaulted toward the visual arts. Because uh, growing up in Strasburg, Illinois, a small town in the middle of Illinois, cornfields, 450 people in my hometown, you just don't grow up thinking, oh, I'm going to be an artist. Because that's <laughs> not, it's, I mean, I have, I could, I could do art type things and I was, I enjoyed it, I was good at it. But you just don't think, and actually you don't even have a concept of what an artist is. Uh, but you certainly don't see yourself being an artist some, sometime in the future. Uh, but after getting out of the army, I needed to go to college. I didn't know what to do. I guess I'll do art. It's really the only thing I enjoy. Uh, but I'm glad I did. Uh, it was, like I said, that's sort of like my default into the visual arts. And, and actually, there's a, I don't want to take too much time, but um, at, there was a, at one point where um, it was like a crisis point. Crisis point. Debbie was expecting our first child, and um, my work at the library was not really going to support us. I was working at the library. And... I remember going upstairs in the attic, not, well, it's kind of a, a, a top room in the house, and uh, laying it out and saying, God, and I was being honest, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I was an art major. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that I, I went into the visual arts. I'm sorry that I tried to paint. I'm sorry that I did all this. Obviously, I missed it. I missed you. I'm going to give it up. I'll just put everything away. 
not that I was painting a lot, but I'll just put all my brushes away. I'll put everything away. I'll do whatever I have to do. Just lead me in the right way. Lead me. And it was that week Evangel called me. So it, I went down, and I hit someplace down there. And, yeah. Isn't it an amazing partnership that the Spirit partners with us to create something, the Spirit partnered with you to create this? It's such a, a beautiful and amazing thing. And even, even in that, in, in guiding your life, that there's this point of rock bottom where you're just dependent. And then that's when the Spirit kind of speaks and continues to work and open doors as you're painting this piece, do you feel like I've tapped into that other? I've tapped into the spirit and he's painting through me. Do you feel like, oh, what a drudge. I can't believe I have to go to the studio again today and put paint on this canvas. It's in between those. It's, it's not the fervent, I got to do this. Uh, it's, it's more like an excitement when, particularly when things work, uh, when things don't work, I have the drive to make it work and change things so that ultimately it achieves whatever it was I had in mind at the beginning. Uh, so I wouldn't say that it's a drudgery. It's not that. It's work. But it's work that I enjoyed doing because I know that ultimately I'm going to push on until there's the result that I want. Yeah, and really, I mean, you've always given your art as a gift to the body of Christ. When you paint, you paint scenes from scripture. When you give those things, and there, you know, my office is across from one of your paintings, so I get the privilege of seeing that in, my, in the hallway every day that I work, and just, I'm so thankful that you did not hold back that gift. Because so, so many people have a gift and they're too ashamed or too afraid or, or too sorry they majored in art to ever pursue it. Right, um, But you've given that gift, and you have poured out of yourself, and the Spirit has empowered you as you have done it. And thank you for giving that gift. Can we say thank you? can't give up now. Yeah, I, got, I, got, I got one more thing to say. Um, you know, I'm reminded of uh, in Corinthians when Paul is talking about the spirit of the prophet being subject to the prophet. And, you know, of course, he's trying to make sure there's order in the church. Um, but I think about it sometimes the other way, because like we said, you don't have to exercise the gifts that the Lord has done, but you have. And... Um, and that is what we are thankful for. But at the same time, I believe that when you do that, that it speaks more than just the paint on the canvas. It speaks, right? And I love the artist's mind. I love the take that the artist has. I was driving back from EU with Caleb Green over here, and we saw these clouds in the sky in the horizon. And Caleb said, oh, wow. I was like, what? What? What is it, Caleb? He goes, just the way the light rarefacts through the through the atmosphere off of those clouds and it makes this beautiful blue gradient where there's every shade of blue. And I looked and I thought, I just saw clouds. <laughs> but Caleb saw something more than there. And every time I speak with you, Mike, 
there's something more that you always call my attention to. And we've talked about how you have a unique perspective on Scripture, that for you somehow it's more visceral, it's more mysterious. And what I love about Scripture is that a third of it is poetry and song. So there's something about art that opens our minds to truth and to beauty that reason and intellect and prose discourse can't do for us. There's something about art that calls us to hear the truth from the Spirit. As you present this painting to us as a church, what would you have us hear from the Spirit today? Well, if we can go just beyond this painting for a moment, I think, uh, and I mentioned this just a half hour ago to the Sunday school class, that there's an entire different avenue of thinking and feeling and responding to God that, for the most part, our tradition um, just doesn't have a part in that. Uh, we don't use the visual arts in that way. Uh, we don't really feel through the visual arts as much as we should or could. Um, but there is that avenue for looking at and participating and receiving from God and worshiping God, either through making art or through following the artist's thoughts and being willing to enter into their vision for a while and maybe receive something different uh, or more powerful or a, a, a blessing of some kind, maybe a new insight from the Spirit uh, because of entering in that way. But I want this to be something that is a a thing of beauty where we can beautify the church in a way and enjoy the color, but enjoy the truth and in, uh, enter into the mystery somewhat, uh, into that, and let the mystery be out there in front of you. I'm thinking of the hundreds of places that I've been to in, uh, in Italy especially where you, you go into a church and over here you look and you have a reminder. It's like Jesus healed the blind man. You look over here and you have another reminder that Jesus is the true bread of life. You look over here at Jesus, the lamb that was sacrificed. You look over here and you see something else that brings it to mind again and again. Um, and those things stick with you. You all know how strong the visual is and how something can almost imprint uh, in our thinking uh, so I want this to be kind of like a continual speaking to everyone here at Praise about who God is. You know, this isn't everything about I mean, There's a thousand names. I, th I heard someplace there's a thousand names. Uh, and I, what I've got, maybe three here. Um, I was thinking about this earlier, and I, I refrained from doing the hen and chicks. You know, how I would like to gather you. It just didn't seem to match. You know, with the, but I've got these three uh, working with. Can we give Mike another round of applause? Do you hear the prophetic voice? Revelation chapter 5 was referred to, verse 5 and 6. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. 
Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. How many of you guys didn't see the lamb at first? You're pretending. When he said, oh yeah, you see the lamb, you went, yeah, I see it. <laughs> Takes a little while. What I loved was, when I first saw it, all I could see was the lion. But then the closer I got, the more I saw the lamb. So just so you know how this voice will be used at praise, we will put it right on the outside of this wall right here just inside the doors coming in. So that, yeah. So, so that, first, when those doors are opened and people walk into the church, this will be the first thing that they see. Second, so that as you walk into this room, you know who you are going to interact with. And it will be exposed like little kids with grimy hands will get up right next to it. And we're good with that. Because isn't that how he is? That he lets all his grimy-handed little children come run right up to him. And there are some today who need to interact with the lion. And there are some today who need to interact with the lamb. And he is all those things, and he is ready to meet with you. Let me leave you with a couple questions. First, what is an innate gifting that you have that is reflective of God? What is an innate gifting that you have that is reflective of God? And there may be something that immediately comes to your mind, and there may not. And maybe that's something for you to meditate on this week, to ask the question, what innate gifting that I have that is reflective of God? Because that's the Holy Spirit encoded within you. might take you a while to figure out what that thing is. Then number two, what are ways that you could use that prophetically? What are ways that you could use that prophetically? And you may not know. You may not even know when any time the pastor starts talking about prophetic. What is prophetic but this? Having your voice that you share with the church 
and that you share with your circle. That you are saying something about God. That you are saying something about us. And you are saying something about how we interact with him. What are some innate giftings that are reflective of God? And number two, what are some ways that you could use that prophetically? As I was listening to Mike speak, I was probably most, there were a few things, but one was thinking of third or fourth grade hymn and the fact that somebody saw something. And then he was given art elements to be able to use those things. And what if that had not happened? What if that person had not been there to call that out of him by recognizing that in him? And this is what I believe is our prophetic voice. If you want to know the language I would use for us as believers and the way that we prophesy, it is this. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. This is speaking of God. It says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is our God. And this is speaking of how he, in Abraham, called the dead to life inside of him and called those things that do not exist into existence. This is what it means to prophesy. And this is what you and I need to do to each other. We need to see inside of each other those things that maybe we have allowed to die. And we need to call that dead back into life for one another. And we need to be able to see in one another those things that do not exist. And yet need to be called into existence. And this we do with one another. And this we had better do with the next generation. And this you better do with your children. And this you had better do with your grandchildren. Every single one of us should memorize this verse. Because this is what we do when we speak over our kids. And this is what we do when we speak over our grandkids. And this is what we do when we speak over our circle. And this is what we do when we speak over our church. We give life to the dead and we call into existence those things that do not exist. That is what it means to use your voice prophetically. So pay attention because you might see someone who can draw little people a little better than those around them. And you might be able to speak into them something that does not yet exist, but call it into existence inside of them.